John on chapter 12 where Jesus uh, finishes with uh, the crowds. And I'm trying to make some decisions about what to do next. And so I thought this Sunday would be a good time for us to consider as we think about tomorrow, we think about that holiday. I have uh, had this rolling around in my brain a little bit, and it's this. A job or labor that matters. A job or labor that matters. We're going to celebrate Labor Day tomorrow, and I'll be like you, taking it easy. Uh, but uh, talking about, if you will, a job that matters. Now, according to the Wall Street Journal uh, that I read a, a few days ago, uh, uh, my retirement's gone, but other than that, no. <clears throat> that was the bad part, uh, that, uh, that over half of Americans employed uh, do, are not satisfied with their jobs. Uh, over half. That's a pretty different uh, statistic that, uh, that uh, the job satisfaction for most people is pretty low. That is interesting when compared in 1987 when 61% of people said they were satisfied and felt good about their job. There are probably lots of different uh, matters. I do know in uh, some of the research as I try to research and learn uh, more about the students that I teach, they call them millennials or IY generation, that job satisfaction is a huge thing to them. Uh, maybe they've watched some of us work at jobs we really didn't like, but we couldn't afford to leave or we couldn't afford to take a pay cut. I said to Becky the other day, I said, you know, I, we could retire now. We just couldn't live at the level which we're accustomed to. And uh, that would be a, bri a, a van under a bridge. And, uh, <coughs> yeah, down by the river. And, uh, you know, it's sad that you all know that Saturday Night Live reference right there. It's sad. Uh, that, or most of you. Uh, job satisfaction, labor that matters. Um, think about that. Uh, when Becky and I pray at night, uh, uh, often when we uh, pray at the, in the end of the day, we'll thank God for our jobs and say, you know, thank you for them meeting our needs, uh, you know, financially and those kind of matters. Donut money and that other very important stuff. But uh, we thank Him for our jobs. But, you know, I, I often will say, Lord, thank you that the job that I have, and I think she has, uh, brings a sense of meaning. Uh, to our lives. Isn't that, isn't that important to, that a job <clears throat> bring a sense of meaning, a sense of, of purpose, that, that it's doing something or making a difference perhaps. And not everybody has that. I, I get that. I understand that. Uh, but job satisfaction or the idea that what I'm doing matters uh, is pretty important. The Bible, I think, has some uh, a aspects or, or matters about that, about labor. I'm going to look at a word here that we're going to see in a couple of different places about labor, how God uh, informs us about the labor that matters. And so I'm going to spend some time in several different verses. And uh, when I do, I'll just uh, kind of comment on that. We're going to move around on several. So we're not going to be in any particular book. Okay? So let's begin with this idea number one. Uh, here, here you are. I'll just say it this way. The labor Jesus requests. The labor that Jesus requests. Now look here in John chapter 6. We're not going backwards, I promise. I know some of you nearly hyperventilated. Like, oh, we got to 12. He's going back to 6. We talked about this briefly, but I want to I spend a little more time in this area on this a particular passage uh, as it relates uh, to uh, something I think uh, important here. This is the labor or the work, and we're going to use this word. Now, before we get into this, let me remind you of the statement I've said several times. And that's this. It comes from Dallas Willard. And here it is. Grace is opposed to earning. Grace, living by God's grace and the great, grace is opposed to earning. 
But grace is not opposed to effort. To effort. Grace is opposed to earning. But grace is not opposed to effort. Uh, and, and so we sometimes get it confused that, that labor or work or effort uh, is uh, legalism. Or it's some idea that, you know, I've got to earn my way. No, no, no. Grace is opposed to any action or act that, it, that at, at its core is attempting to earn or to validate or to, to say, I, I'm acceptable because of this. Grace is completely opposed to that. But grace is not opposed to effort, uh, to effort in this matter. And that's why I think that Jesus uses these words about labor. And I want to suggest you, He's not talking to people about earning their way or being good enough. He's simply addressing the ish issue that there is effort, that there's energy. So let's look here in John chapter 6. John chapter 6, by the time you're there, let's look at verse 26. And Jesus was speaking here to the crowd and He answered, And truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me because you saw signs. Or you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which is endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. <laughs> isn't, that, that, isn't that interesting? Work for the food or the bread that he goes that, that the Son of Man will what give you? Isn't that that might be what we call a what? A dialectic, yeah. Uh, 9.36, it was when we said that. When it usually gets in there somehow. But isn't that interesting? The idea of work for what he's going to give. E effort, not earning. Effort, be engaged, be involved. What he's going to give you. Therefore they said, and what shall we do? Now notice this. So that we may work the works of God. Uh, if you don't underline your Bible, just notice that's plural. What must we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work, singular. He turns it on. This is the work that you believe in Him whom He has sent. Now, I, I want to look at this, the work that Jesus requests. Uh, number one, it seems to me, or in this outline here, it's work for what lasts. Work for what lasts. I was just talking to someone earlier. Um, uh, you know, I, when I go, I've been looking to buy a car for a year and a half. <laughs> this is the reason that Becky said to me after dating six, a year and six months, if we don't get engaged, we're done. And I kept saying, you're kind of putting a lot of pressure on me, you know. <laughs> just, I just don't like making decisions. I, it just, I drag them out until it's like, uh, she said to me, I think I told you, she said to me, do you need me to go down to the car dealer and finish this? <laughs> I said, what is, hold on. But what's interesting is when I'm doing all my research and study, and of course everything on the internet's true, you know, I'm, 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 I'm working through all this stuff. I've been buying cars long enough that I, I realize that there are lots of cars out there that have what they call, J.D. Powers has a rating on them, top in initial quality. Top in initial quality. I mean, when you get that car, the quality of all the technology and all the things that are built into this car, no, top rank. I noticed this past year that the top two cars that were, and this is, I'm not a salesman or I'm not, I'm just telling, I'm just get, giving you the news, that the number one car for initial quality by J.D. Powers is the Porsche. Or in Texas, it's a Porsche. <laughs> Porsche. Yeah. Uh, Porsche is number one. Guess what's number two in initial quality? 
Honda, her Chevy, Kia. Now, that's a little bit of a gap, I think. <laughs> From Porsche to Kia. That's important if you want a car, you know, and you're saying, I, I would like something that, that has, an, you know, the, the, the quality is wonderful. Guess what's on the list at the three to five year top quality? Porsche. <laughs> Guess what's not? <laughs> Kia. <laughs> you know, I'm not putting Kia down. I, you know, they're wonderful cars, and if you have one, I'm glad you have it. Uh, I'd rather have a Porsche. But <laughs> <laughs> this is one of the things Marty and I share. It's one of the things we share. Not a car, but the desire for one. <laughs> that wouldn't be bad if we shared it. Anyway. Um, what I'm looking for when I'm buying a car is I want to look at the results and the research and the study on what is this car going to be like in five years. I want to, I want to buy a car that I'm not going to be spending a car payment on it still trying to fix it. Now, I'm not saying uh, Kia would. I, I feel nervous about Kia for some reason today. <laughs> Maybe because Blake Griffin drives one, if you believe that. <laughs> the NBA, it's the NBA car. Jesus says here, look, there are a lot of things you can work for. A lot of things you can put your energy into. There are a lot of things that demand our attention. You know, our houses and our jobs and like that. And it, I don't think Jesus is saying, you know, just don't care about anything. He is saying this though, but you need to work for the food that does not perish. I was, I was looking at that and as, as, I was, as I was working through that, I thought, my goodness, you know, there are so many things that that whenever we look at our life later, we think, well, how important was that? How important was me to, to spend that kind of energy and, and that kind of time uh, in, in, in that particular matter? You know what people say, uh, that, that when we get toward the end of our life, we, we typically say, I wish I would have worked less, spent more time with my family, and worked more on relationships. Now, Jesus is not necessarily talking about that, but that's just an indication that even in our heart and mind, that we start thinking about those things as we get older. As we, we think about it. There's a new book out. It's by a friend, a fellow I know named Jeremy Kubitschek called Five Gears. And five gears are the gears that we live in. And, one, and it, the premise of the book is how to be present when you're around people. Fifth gear, you're in the zone. You are driving hard. You are working like crazy at work. Fourth gear, you're on task. Third gear, you're with people. Second gear, you're being social. And first gear is you're relaxing. I don't know about you, but if you, Jeremy told me this. If you check your email, the first thing you do, you get up, you're living in fourth gear. You're living in fourth gear. And I look at my life at times and think, okay, when I wake up, I, I see that phone right by the bed and touch it. <laughs> I've had this thought before. I thought, and there's nothing wrong with checking. I'm not, you know, checking your email, drinking a cup of coffee, waking up. You know, that, that's acceptable. But I generally try to spend time in the morning reading the Bible and praying and getting ready for the day. I'm not saying you have to. I'm not, you could do it in the daytime, the afternoon, at night, you know, while you're in this class maybe. <laughs> but, uh, but, but I've had this kind of running commentary with myself is to say, there's nothing sinful about it, Cliff, but, but is there anybody more important to talk to or hear from right now than God? <laughs> you know? The other person that would be that important is laying right beside me. 
I said the other day, I, I woke up grumpy the other day, and then, then the other day I let her sleep. No. <laughs> I know. I know. I have tomorrow off. <laughs> I won't be at home. <laughs> I mean, you think about it, I think, you know, if Becky said something to me or something, that would be pretty important at that moment. But I think about how many times I get distracted from the bread or the things that are going to last. In, in, instead of monkeying around with, with Facebook or monkeying around with, with my email, somehow that can find its way into my schedule and then I look around in the day and think, I, I really didn't have time to pray. I, I really didn't have time to read God's Word. It's not probably that I didn't have time, it's that I wasn't looking at or being alert to what is the food that doesn't perish? What is the bread that endures to eternal life? That's an interesting phrase. Or just underline that in your Bible if you want to. Because we tend to think of eternal life as a destination. But the Gospel of John and other Gospels suggest that eternal life starts now. And it goes into the future. It says that the food that endures into or into the direction of Eternal life. Eternal life isn't something later. Eternal life is something Jesus, when He said, I've come that you might have life. It's life now. And so when we're living our lives, I've got a yard to mow sometime. <laughs> I've got things to do. I've got oil to change in the car. I've got a job. I've got meetings. But I find that as I work on my life and labor in the way that Jesus wants me to, that I have to sort of get control of what my time is being spent on. Notice what Jesus said. It'll endure, which the Son of Man will give you. Now, isn't, that's kind of a, 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 a that dialectic there. Work for it, labor for it, because the Father, or the, the Son, will give it to you. I find that whenever I am invested, if you will, in ways that count for eternity, that my life is enriched. It, it's, I'm not just suggesting Bible study and prep. I'm suggesting being with other followers of Jesus. I'm talking about listening to a person who's got a problem and, and you're willing to be a listening ear. I'm talking about living the Jesus life in, in lots of different dimensions. But Jesus said when you, when you do that, when you labor, when you put some effort into it, when you put some effort into it, He said the Son of Man or the, the Son will give you this life. And I, I'm, I'm still trying to understand that. that. That as I labor, as I put some energy and effort into this matter, I really experience life. I, I, I really, and I know you do too, that when I get down to it, to the matters that endure, that it's life that Jesus gave. He said, I'll give it to you. But you have to, Cliff or others, you have to exert some what? Effort. Effort. Does everybody have as much time as they need? Everybody, everything is just right in place. You know, I talk to my students about this. There are two types of time that we all wrestle with. There's fixed time. That's when you've got to be to work. You know, that's when you have a meeting. That's when you've got to take your kids to soccer practice or, or, or whatever. There's fixed time that we don't have a lot of control over. But there's another kind of time called discretionary time. 
And I challenge my students to go through their schedule day by day and say, where is the time that there is nothing fixed on? You don't, you're not at work. You don't have an appointment. You don't have to go to the, your kids' practice. Look at all of this time that we have and say to us and say to myself, how are you investing that, Cliff? How are you spending that time? How are you working with that time? It might be a valuable experience for you to decide, you know what? I don't ever feel like I have enough time. Well, get your schedule out and say, let me put all the fixed time in, all the things that I have to do. And then look at those other blocks and say, what am I doing with this? Now, I'm not suggesting that, you know, you can't watch Gilligan's Island for, you know, some afternoon if you want to. <laughs> Whatever. I'm not suggesting that you get some kind of neurotic time orientation about life. What I am saying is this, that if we don't recognize the effort here that Jesus is saying, if we don't work for, if we don't put some effort into the things that last into eternal life, it seems to me in my life that it gets gone very quickly. Anybody with me on that? Does that make sense? That, that, that sense in which it just gets past you. I'm not trying to make you neurotic. Some of you already are. But uh, no. <laughs> no, I'm with you. Okay, I'm with you. I'm not trying to make you neurotic or, or, or so time conscious that you're trying to do every little detail. But my guess is that you kind of live like I do or you can, if you're not careful, sit down in front of a television set and spend an entire afternoon. And maybe you need to do that. I don't know. But the idea of giving some effort here for what last. What are the things that last? Here's what they are. I think what Jesus, he said, work for the, he says this in an early, later. He says, work for the bread or the food that endures to eternal life. What is that? Jesus said in verse 35, I am the bread of life. I am. Yeah. Yes, the word. I am the bread of life. John, look down there, verse 635. I'm the bread. How is it that you and I are living our lives with our time and effort to live our life in such a way to be involved in the Jesus life? He says, I am the bread of life. If you, eat on, if you, if you start noshing or eating on something else, you're not going to have life. One of my professor friends said it this way. He said sin is fundamentally when we start seeking for life in things other than Jesus. When we start seeking for life in things other than Jesus. Where he said, I'm the bread of life. Now let's look, on, look, look further, a little further. Now notice this. Second, see that it is not works but a work. Therefore they said to him, what shall we do that may work the works of God. This is the work or the labor that Jesus asks for or requests. And these people are saying, okay, what do we got to do? I, I love these guys because I'm like this. This is the way I'm wired. Give me the list. Okay? Give me the list. Anybody like that? I like a list. That way I can see if I did it. Right? And they're saying that what are the works that we have to do to inherit this food or this way. And Jesus says this. This is the work of God. Here's a, here's a people that I think, as we know about the Jewish people, that they have an, an, an approach to God that is formulaic. In other words, there's a formula. If you'll do these things, these things, these, this thing, this thing, that thing, God will bless you. And He'll honor you. 
They have this formulaic understanding of all of the things that I need to do. And Jesus said there's only one thing you have to do. One thing. What is that? What does it say there? Believe. What does that mean? What does it mean to believe? It says here, you must believe in Him whom He has sent. What synonyms do you use for belief? If somebody said, what is that? What does it mean? What? Faith. Faith? Okay, that's a noun. Trust. That's a noun. Yeah. Obedience. What else? What, what words? Rely on. Do you know right now that you're expressing faith in that chair? What are you doing to that chair? Okay, but you're putting all of your weight on that chair, aren't you? Is anybody, is anybody standing with one leg underneath? Like, oh, I don't want to put too much weight on here. Yeah. Right? Because they are cheap church chairs. <laughs> cheap church chairs. Uh, you know, no, I, I would imagine that what you're doing right now is you, your entire weight is on that chair. When you think about believing in Jesus, trusting Him, believing in Him who said, I, think of that same feeling or sense that you have right now. Are you struggling to sit there? Are you, are you fighting to, to, to keep from falling down? Or are you finding that that chair is a reliable object that you can put all of your weight on and trust in? I wrote some stuff to myself. I, of course, I do that all the time. But I, I thought, here's how it works out in my life. When he says you, you're to believe in Him. This is the work, Cliff, not works. I tend to feel good and accepted when I succeed and feel a bit depressed and down when I fail. You know why? Who am I trusting in? Shame on y'all for saying that. <laughs> right? I mean, I feel confident or, or, or maybe more secure when I succeed. And if I fail or I struggle suddenly that sense of security begins to drain. I want to tell you, that is helping me and you, if that happens to you, to understand what the real source of your faith is in. What's it really in? Is it in an adequate, is it in an adequate Savior named Jesus who can take care of whatever is going on with me and you? Or is it that my performance and my ability to do things is what gives me this sense of of satisfaction, this sense of security, this sense of, I'm doing pretty good. He said, this is the work. Rely on Him. I wrote in my notes here, it's relying, it's trusting, it's depending on, it is putting your full weight on Him. And in that experience, you're doing the work, singular, of God. Do you see that there? How many works do you have to do? That's what these people said. What are the works? Tell us. Give us the list. We'll work on it. What's the works that we have to do? And Jesus is saying there's only one. And that's to believe. Rely on. Depend on. Now, you know, there's some difficulty in those details. I, I'll tell my students sometimes when we're discussing this. That means that when I'm relying and trusting and depending on, that I'll do or not do, perhaps, what Jesus said, even if I don't understand it. Right? If I say, you know what, Jesus, I believe you, I trust you, 
I don't completely understand why this is calling me to live like this or do this. But you know what? Because I what? Believe you. Trust you. Rely on you. Depend on you. I'm going to do what you say. For me, I don't know about you, this believing, it's, it's, this is really good to do at church. And simple. Right? We're all believing in Jesus, right? Woo! <laughs> right? That's easy right now. Where, where I find the difficulty is trusting Jesus, believing Him, is whenever what His will or idea is gets a little crossways with mine. You know? When, when it gets a little cross cross-purposed with mine. That's where it gets tough. That, that's where I say, okay, Cliff, are you really going to lean on, believe in, and trust? I, I know you know this. this. This is nothing new to you. But you know that believing sometimes can be the strongest, most difficult thing to do. Because a good word we should probably use is trust. It gets easier when you get older because... <laughs> Okay, we're going to hold you to this that this gets better, easier as we get older. <laughs> we're going to hold you to that. <laughs> I hope it does. That you, have you have to. Yeah, some of that is you have to, right? You just get to the point and say, hey, oh, if, if you're not going to do it, it ain't going to happen, right? Yeah, thank you. That, uh, that's sweet. That's sweet. I, I'm, I'm trusting in that. But that idea of, of trust, I, I, I've, I've had to do that in relationships, haven't you? With other people to say, look, I don't understand this completely, but I trust you. I had somebody try to convince me the other day the stock market's going to be okay. <laughs> and they showed me this chart. And I, and I looked at the chart and I said, yeah, but, you know, it could, yeah, it, could, it could be different next year. The reason I kept my money there is because I trust the person who told me that. I could see all the data. You know what? If you've ever seen that longitudinal study, something like the stock market, you know, like that, I'm just thinking, well, there's probably a category here called the global meltdown that you haven't got on the chart yet there. Right? That's what I'm always thinking. Yeah. I'm, I'm burying money in the backyard. Um, but when it came to that decision, I will tell you that, that a lot of the, the charts didn't convince me. It was the person I was talking to. Now, they're not guaranteeing anything. I'm, I'm, not, I'm just saying, I have confidence in this person. Trust. Belief. The facts didn't change it for me. You know, C.S. Lewis gets into this when he says that in, in Mere Christianity, when he, when he talks about faith, when he says that he always thought, before he's a Christian, when he's an atheist, that if you believed in something, if you believed it, that you said, okay, I believe that, check it off. He says, that's not the way it works in Christianity. He said, you know, you just think, okay, what's next? What I believe next? Next, got that checked off, and we're done. He said it's similar to, and if you've read it, you, you know this, it's similar to his trust and belief in an anesthesiologist. That they're not there to kill him. But he said, in his book, he said, but whenever the anesthesiologist puts the mask over his face, he said a childlike panic takes over. <laughs> right? A childlike panic. He said, because faith is not only understood in the reasoning, it has some connection with how we feel and our emotions. 
Listen, some of us had had a lot of people fail us. Some of us had had a lot of people fail us, and we, and we live a little guarded. We've had people that, that have told us one thing that's been... And, and so it isn't just that it's locked in our reason, but our emotions and our feelings get activated. And Lewis said, this is one of the great struggles in faith. To realize it's not just in the mind. If you just say, okay, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. Okay, well, everything He says I'm going to do until it happens. <laughs> right? Until I finally have to say, hey, the work of God, I want to drive this as hard as I can into your brain and mine. The work of God is to believe and trust and rely on. Yeah. I'll just tell you a little bit. You, you know I'm a little off the beam. I've probably struggled all my life for, for whatever reason. I've probably struggled all my life with having a sense of assurance that God's always pleased with me. I'm not going to ask you if that's you, but when I teach and say this, a lot of, a lot of people tell me that's, that's me. I've spent a good deal of time that my struggle has often been that, that I have not had a, a strong, enduring sense all the time that God is just tickled and pleased with me. I hear those other voices too, you know. You know why'd you do that? Who do you think you are? And some time ago, I, as I had continued to journal and read and pray about this, it's as if the Spirit of God said to me, I want to know, are you trusting in your assurance or are you trusting in your Savior? Which is it, Cliff? Are you going to trust in your sense of assurance or are you going to trust in your Savior? Are you going to say, you know what, I believe Jesus, whether I ever have any sense of that or any feeling of that at all, I trust you as my Savior. That was a very monumental moment. Because you know what? I think a lot of us are wired up to think that if we don't feel it and we don't sense it, maybe it's not true. Right? Is anybody with me there? If you don't feel it and you don't sense it, it's not true. You know, because other people will tell you all kinds, boy, I tell you the Lord and I are just walking down the street and He told me, get that hamburger. And I'm going, <laughs> I think you wanted the hamburger. <laughs> right? Yeah. That, that, that this idea, I, I meet people, and, I'm, and, I, and if that's you, hallelujah, I wish I could just get a big dose of that. But my life hasn't been like that. My, my, my life hasn't been where I've had this deep sense of assurance. And, and so then you start quitting. No, no, no. It's not your assurance. John Wesley said it this way. You're not saved by assurance. You're saved by faith. And I found that sometimes faith is exactly opposite of what I feel. Not all the time, but often. I, I, I've said this more than once to God. When I didn't think... And, you know, I've had a pretty easy life. I don't want to make you think I've had some terrible journey. Many of you have had much more uh, trouble than I have because you're bad. But uh, no. <laughs> Kidding. <laughs> For some of you. <laughs> I, I, I've not had that much trouble, I mean, and, and problems. But, but I know that I've said this before to God. Though you slay me, I'll trust you. 
Remember Job said that? Though you slay me, I will trust you. I will have the last word on my lips. I trust Jesus. That's all I got. Maybe I don't have any feelings. Maybe I don't have any sense of assurance. Maybe it, 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 in your head you go, yeah, but you know, when you did this the other day, no, no, no. The last uh, two hymns I shared with my dad were, uh, "Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, which I think is a stupid title to the song. It is not sweet to trust in Jesus. It's smart. It's wise. Is it always sweet? I want to talk to that lady in heaven. Would you? <laughs> Tis so sweet. I won't, when we sing it at church, I go, mm -hmm, to trust in Jesus. I'm a theologian. I have to make it right. But I remember when my dad uh, was in his final days. I, my dad loved poetry, and I would quote these songs to him, How Great a Salvation, all the kind of things. And I heard a line in that song I had never heard before because I'd never had a dad die. I'd never had a family member that I was watching. Leave me. Ebb away. Some of you know that. And I remember that line in that song that said, Oh, for grace to trust Him more. Some of you know what I'm talking about. We've had some calls and some emails this week. Oh, for grace to trust Him more. If you think relying and trusting is all just kind of up here in the head, it takes God's grace to enable us to trust. And there have been times when I've just had to cry out and say, I've trusted you all I know how to. I've trusted all that I know but I need grace to trust you more. This is too hard. This seems to be more than I can bear. And even if you slay me, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you no matter what. It's God, our work to believe. Now, I'm going to ask you to consider something here. What if you listed one thing that is a way for you to work that what for what lasts? And put that on your calendar. One thing this week. It might be reading your Bible. It might be talking to a friend. It might be spending some time with Jesus in prayer. What, just find one thing that is going to last. You know it's going to And put it on your schedule. Or what if you placed in your calendar the work of God to believe in Him who He has sent. How can you express that belief this week? Maybe you just take that line out of that hymn and just say, Jesus, Jesus, I trust you. I believe in you. But I need more grace to trust you more. You, you may know what that is this week. You, you may know what you, you may say, well, things are pretty good. But I need grace to trust him more. I think there's another thing here that I want to look at real quick. Of course, you know I don't do anything quick. <laughs> Every time I say that, I sit here, Ike and Tina Turner. I'm sorry, but uh, we never do anything nice and easy. But <laughs> the goal of labor. It's a fascinating passage in Galatians. In 
second in, in Galatians, Paul makes this statement. He said, verse 16 of chapter 4, Have I become an enemy by telling you the truth? Have I become an enemy by telling you the truth? They eagerly seek you, not commendably, but they, they wish to shut you out so that you will seek them. But it is good always to be eager to sought for in a committal manner, but not only when I am present with you. My children, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. You know, this is an interesting phrase that, that Paul is bringing here when he's saying that really the goal of his labor, the goal of labor, is that Christ would be formed in us. That, that Jesus Christ would become a reality in our lives. Now, Paul is, is discussing this matter from the standpoint that there are people who are saying, well, you know what? Um, you can be a Christian if you trust in Jesus, if you put your faith in Him, but you also have to be circumcised. Or you can be a Christian if you follow Jesus, but you have to worship on this day. Or you can be a Christian if you trust in Jesus, but you have to live this kind of dietary matters. We call them legalists. We call them the Pharisees. But Paul is clear, in my judgment here, that the goal of all his labor is not just so we would be better church attenders, or not that we would just be better use of our resources, or not that we would just go to church more often, or not that we would use our gifts and abilities, but that Christ would be formed in us. Now, it's notice here. He says, my little children. These people are followers of Jesus. They must be, he uses the word uh, a techna and nepeos, this idea of a, of a small child that's born but it's needing to grow. And to be this idea when he says, I'm in labor. And this is the actual word that's used in Greek for a woman that's in labor. That there's this idea of birthing them again. That the idea that this pain and this struggle that he's in is to, is to birth them in that Christ would be formed in you. It's clear to me because what happens in religion is we start getting all these other little encouterments or things about us and we start thinking that's what's important. So I believe going to church is important. I, I do. I believe that being a good uh, steward of the resources God has given me is important. I believe that the church is, is God's manifest body in the, in, in the world to bring salvation and, and to bring the glory of God. But I have to sometimes back up and say, now wait a minute, Cliff, all of that stuff's great. But the goal of God's labor in your life is that Christ would be formed in you. This Greek word metamorphosis is the idea that we take the form, that, that this idea is that Christ is formed in us in a metamorphosis, if you will, kind of way. That this matter of being formed into Christ. Now that's a lifelong journey, I would say. I don't think any of us will say, hey, doing pretty good, made it. You know, just look at me. See Jesus, right? Yeah, you probably didn't. <laughs> but the idea of, of the Christian life, if you will, the, the, the goal of any labor that Paul is putting in, or the labor that he's experiencing, is that Christ would be formed in us. I've wondered if, if we thought about that in our own lives every day. We don't think about, I'm reading my Bible because I'm being a good Christian, or I'm praying or doing those things, which are okay. But I'm, I'm involved in this process of being formed and conformed. 
I remember some years ago, we went to the food bank and we're doing some volunteering and we were talking or I was talking and people were listening and <laughs> that's generally how it happens. <laughs> uh, but, but, but someone was saying, you know, I'm really, I've really been struggling in my life with what is God's will for my life. And I said, really, you, that, that's a concern. I'm you know, trying to be honoring his concern. And he said, uh, yeah, I, I, I've really been, been, been concerned about that. And I said, well, what, what do you mean by that? He said, well, you know, you know, my job and those kind of things. I said, those are important things. They're, they're part of it. But can I be so bold to say that I already know what God's will is for your life? Then he started walking away. <laughs> and I, I just want to ask you, you keep your hand there in Galatians, but turn back to Romans just for a moment. In Romans 8... Romans 8. I'm going to read a couple of verses here that relate to this idea of being Christ being formed in us. You know, I, I said to my students this, and, I, and I'll say while you're turning here. Christianity is the only religion I know of that claims, that declares, that asserts that God lives in us. Every other is He's out there. You're trying to get to Him. You're trying to experience nirvana. At some point, maybe you can get to it. Or he's out there as the ruler. But, but Christianity says that God comes to live and dwell within us. Is there anybody else that claims that? That God comes to live inside of us. I, 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 we've been Christians too long. You know what? We've been Christians too long. To think that the God... Jesus Christ, or the God of the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ comes to live in. Now look what, look what Paul says in verse 28. And we know, that every, a lot of people know this verse, and we know that God causes all things to work together, notice that, not individually, but together, for good, to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Now verse 29 is connected because the first word in the original language and in the American Standard is for. That, that, that means... Here is the effect. This is what the effect is that God's working for our good. How does He do that? Look what He says. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. Can I suggest to you when we quote this verse, when we say, well, everything will work out because God is working for it, there's really one good that God is working toward. It's not our retirement funds, as much we want. It's not that we have good health. It's not that we, we have a better life or our, uh, the, uh, our houses go up. The good that God is up to is to conform us to the image of His Son. That's what God is up to. That's why there are people that seem, even though they're followers of Jesus, they go through deep, deep water. And others seem to kind of just skip along in life. That's not because they've been bad and God is not going to bless and it's not good. It's because we don't understand what God is up to when we say what He's up to is to conform us to the image of His Son. Do we understand that this is the goal? That God's up to. 
That every time we come to church, that every time we meet with others, that every time we consider what is God up to in my life, that what I understand is that He's up to conforming me or causing the person of Christ to be in me. I'm learning that. I, you know, I'm a slow learner. I'm learning that this isn't something to live from the outside in. It's from the inside out. I'll tell you what I told some students the other day. I'll let you go. Class started this week. I, I was, you know, trying to, you know, get them all together. And as we were talking, and I said, and I believe this. I think I've told you this, but I said, uh, in this semester, while we work together, we'll spend a lot of time together. Uh, you have four absences. I would use them. And, <laughs> you know, just get away. <laughs> but I said this. My philosophy and theory is this. That if you're in this class, it'll be a huge waste of time if you don't experience this. Here, here's what, in my judgment, real teaching is. And preaching, if you don't call it that. It's when the people who are there hear another voice from the inside. Listen, if all you've heard is me today, what a monumental waste of time. There's someone who lives in you who's being formed in your heart and your life. I, I said that in class and I said, real teaching, I, I got an email from a student. I just wept. They said to me, Dr. Sanders, when you said that in class, I thought you'd lost your mind. I said, well, that happened early this semester. <laughs> really quick this year. She said, but I went out to my car and had some time and I was just praying about a problem that I have. A problem that I have. An issue I've got to deal with. And she said, I heard the voice. I heard the voice. She said, I didn't think that could happen. She said, I, I've, I've had some real problems and I've done some stupid things, but I'm just sitting there weeping while I'm reading this to say, she wasn't looking for him out there. She, she wasn't looking for him out there. She was saying, there, there's someone who lives in me. I don't know if it's like this for you, but for me, I have to almost consciously, because I, I know who I am and I know what I can do and what I can't do, that I almost unconsciously think about God out there. Anybody else? Out there. Augustine, not a new ager. <laughs> The Bishop of Hippo in the 4th century said that quit looking for God out there and turn inside and look for Him within. That's not new age. That's, that's the, one of the greatest theologians and bishops of the history of the church. Don't, don't, we, we just think He's out there. And He's saying, I'm in here, Cliff. I'm working. I, I want you to turn your gaze from out there to in here. And that if there's any work or effort or anything going on, that you know that the goal of everything that God is up to, that, that all that Paul is up to here, he's saying, this is what I'm praying about, that, that it's that you and I become formed and conformed to the person of Jesus. Not a religious person, not a person with just a bunch of lists and do's, but there is actually this conformity to the person of Jesus coming into my life. 
you know, one of the things I've, I've told you, it, it's, I've never had road rage, but I had something happen the other day, not bad, no, <laughs> that I think that Jesus was helping me understand that He's conforming me. person gets in front of me too slow. They did not know that I am the standard by which all people should merge on the highway by. <laughs> Becky keeps reminding me when I start talking to them, they can't hear you. Good thing. I was going, how can you? How You'd be dead if you lived in Houston. That's usually my response. If you, if you merge like that, you, you'd be dead. Guy merges, comes on like that, and it's like the Spirit of God just said to me. Maybe he just heard his wife is sick. He's distracted. Maybe he just got laid off from his job and he was pretty distracted, really wasn't watching. Maybe, maybe he's got a child that's in a lot of trouble and he's thinking, how am I going to get this kid out? And I, I listen, that's not the way I think. <laughs> okay? I'm constantly as a teacher measuring, grading, deciding. That was a terrible merge. I want to send you a note. <laughs> I'm a teacher. Constantly evaluating. And it almost shocked me. I thought, maybe, maybe. You think, boy, if that's all Jesus is conforming you to, Cliff, we need another teacher <laughs> about your driving. <clears throat> But that, for me, was an example. How's He conforming you? Have you lost sight of this goal? Have you thought it's go to church, read your Bible, pray, tithe, do all those good religious things and all like that, and just keep doing that? Maybe some, No, no. It's the goal of all that we're doing is that Jesus would be formed in us. Not by our own effort. Paul's saying, I'm laboring, I'm praying, I'm, I'm working, that Christ would be formed in you. Why don't you bow your heads and we'll get out of here. Bow your head just for a moment. I mean this. Man, I hope you heard another voice today. What did you hear? What, what is it that in the recesses of your soul you heard the voice? If you didn't, don't get all worked up about yourself and say, I'm hard-hearted and I didn't. No, no just, just relax. But understand that the goal that God is working is that Christ will be formed in us. So, Lord Jesus, we need to hear you now. We need to hear you through the week. We need to hear you when we're washing clothes. We need to hear you when we're driving. We need to hear you when we're working with people. We need to hear you. So we ask that we might align again and understand that the goal and all that you do and all that you are is that our lives would be more conformed to the image of your Son. Keep that goal in front of us. Help us to see your work in our lives and settle for nothing less. Not some religious rigmarole, not even some spiritual disciplines, not some religious experiences, but that Jesus would be being conformed in us.
We pray this in your strong name. Amen.